Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, well, welcome, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Sandoval Show. I'm your host, Dr. Sandoval. And of course, as always, we're going to talk about our health, our spiritual health, our mental health, and our physical health when and if needed, because it's all happening at the same time. Um, before we get started here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, why don't we start with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Virgin Most Powerful Radio family, we are deep into Lent now. Uh, a week, uh, well, deep into Lent. We're about a, a couple weeks in. Um, and, you know, and I hope that your Lenten uh, sacrifices are going well. I hope that you're feeling good. Uh, on today's show, what I wanted to talk a little bit about was depression. But the reason that I want to talk about depression is that as we're going through Lent, as we're making sacrifices, as we're looking deeper into ourselves, and looking at, gosh, what do I have to do in terms of confession? What do I, how am I uh, living my life? Am I doing it well? Am I not doing it well? It can be very easy to settle into Lent and all of a sudden start to feel depressed. We might start to get a dryness in our prayers or feel distant from God. And that's not really always the case. Whenever we feel distant from God, we say that, you know, they say that that's when God is closest to us. But today I want to talk about depression because depression can be a very lonely place. It can be hard to talk about. And what I really want our readers to realize is that you're not alone in it. The other big issue with depression or mental health in general that people uh, address to me or say, Dr. Sandoval, how do I know? This is the big question. How do I know the difference between am I being afflicted by a mental health ailment or is this spiritual warfare? Am I being attacked uh, by the demonic? Am I being attacked by dark entities and that's why I feel depressed? or that's why I feel down, or that's why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. It's not always easy to make that distinction. In fact, it can be very, very challenging because a lot of the symptoms overlap. But I thought that we would bring somebody in. I don't have a physical special guest uh, for our show today, but I do have a spiritual special guest for our show. And our spiritual guest for our show today is going to be St. Catherine of Bologna. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of her, if you know who she is, um, but I know that we hear a lot of different St. Catherines. There's St. Catherine of Siena, uh, St. Catherine Labore. There's different uh, saints that we hear about, but I don't know that we know too much about St. Catherine of Bologna. Let me give you a little bit about her background um, because I think she's going to be an important uh, saint to keep in our in our uh, toolbox there uh, when we are thinking about fighting depression and when we are thinking about fighting spiritual warfare all at the same time, because that's what she did. That's what she did. Now, she was born on September 8th, 1413, so a little while ago, right? So uh, in the 15th century there in Bologna, Italy. That's when she was born. She died March 9th, 1463 at the age of 49. Um, she was canonized a saint. Actually, well, let's, before we start that, in her life, she became a nun. She became a poor clarinet, and she did not always have 
an easy time of it. She joined one convent. She had a switch convent. It would be very interesting. I recommend anybody to read her history um, so that you get a, a sense of what her life was like. Uh, but for our show's purposes, what I really want to focus on is what her description is of her depression, how she experienced it, because I think it will resonate resonate with a lot of our readers, and hopefully it will help you see that even if you are going through any kind of mental illness or suffering, that doesn't mean that you can't attain sainthood. It doesn't mean that you can't retain holiness and be a saint. It doesn't preclude us. Mental illness doesn't stop us the same way physical illness doesn't stop us from getting closer to God and being saints. So St. Catherine of Bologna, not only does she suffer from depression, but she also wrote a book on the seven spiritual weapons that she used to fight the demons and the devils. Because while she was going through this, she was also getting tempted and she was also getting attacked by dark entities. You know, she passed away, like I said, uh, March 9th, 1463. She was canonized a saint by Pope Pope Clement the Eleventh uh, on May twenty second, seventeen twelve. Uh, her feast is March 9th. Uh, that's the day of her death, and she uh, is the patron saint of the city of Bologna in Italy. She's a patron saint against temptations, and she's a patron saint of artists and liberal arts. So she was a very creative person, in spite of her um, depression and in spite of her struggles with mental illness. She was also able to be creative and use her mind in a way that was going to praise God no matter what. So I'm, I've got this little book here, and it's called The Seven Spiritual Weapons, um, and it's by St. Catherine of Bologna. I'll just put it up. I purchased it. Any of you want to read it, um, I think it's a great read. It's not a very thick book, and I think it's really full of insightful um, thoughts and passages um, in terms of when you are thinking, gosh, what do I do? I feel depressed. I feel like I've got nothing left for myself. Um, how do I fight this? How do I, how do I move ahead? And on top of that, I'm not sure if I'm being attacked by um, spiritual entities. I'm not sure if I'm in a dark place. I'm not sure if I'm in the right place spiritually. I think St. Catherine really does a great way, uh, uh, does a great job of expressing how she experienced that because this was blended for her. Just a, qu- a few quick ex- excerpts from this book um, in terms of how, who she was. Um, in, turn, in the introduction, we hear that St. Catherine was a very prayerful woman. Prayer aims at union between the soul and God. For prayer to affect the sin, St. Catherine said certain preconditions had to be met. So she's already telling us about spiritually, if we're going to get closer to God, how are we going to pray? We have to meet certain uh, expectations here. And the first one is purity of life. There's no way that we're going to get closer to God regardless of our mental illness or regardless of where we are, if we're suffering from anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder. A lot of times we'll try to make excuses and say, well, you know, because of this, I'm going to allow myself some comfort, some comforts of the flesh or comforts of sin. But regardless of where we are in life, the rules to get closer to God are the same. So purity of life, proper intention, perseverance, humility of compunction, distrust of self, confidence in God, and a steady awareness of the divine presence. That was really her formula for prayer. Um, Those are great, great suggestions for prayer because without them, we're not going to get closer to God. We're not going to meet our standard of where we need to be with God. But what I liked about this book, it has a very specific section in it where it talks about a struggle against depression. And I think that if we read through this, it's not very long, we'll read through it during this uh, talk, and we'll see how much of this speaks 
to any of our listeners, how much of this speaks to you if you're struggling with depression? Um, and then for the last part of the show, I want to go through the seven spiritual weapons that she talks about in terms of being able to defeat uh, demons and negative entities in our lives as we're trying to get closer to God, even if we are struggling with mental illness in any way. So a struggle against depression. She writes, it has been fashionable for several years now to post di- to post-diagnose famous people with depression and other illnesses. Certainly such a diagnosis as St. Catherine of Bologna is possible, but insufficient. She suffered That she suffered is evident from her writings. That she triumphed over these sufferings and is acclaimed a saint is equally evident and perhaps more to the point in any examination of her depression. What I like about this passage is that it's going to start going into the actual DSM, the actual diagnostics of depression. It's not just this random, wow, was she depressed or not? We're actually looking at the definitions of depression, how I diagnose depression in clinic, and how does this apply to St. Catherine? So first, to the evidence of her depression, the DSM-4, or the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Now, this is the fourth edition, and we're on the fifth edition now, but the, the rules for depression haven't changed a whole lot. It says, the essential feature of major depressive disorder is a period of at least two weeks during which there is either depressed mood or a loss of interest and pleasure in all or nearly all activities. This is true. That's one of the first things that we know. How do we know that St. Catherine was depressed? How do any of us know that we're depressed? We have to give it at least two weeks. We allow for depression, you know, a couple of days here, a few hours there. we able to get out of it. The mind's able to get out of it. But if it's not, if it's lasting for about two weeks or more, then we start to wonder, are we in a condition of major depressive disorder? And then what do we do? The individual must also experience at least four additional symptoms. One item from the list of additional symptoms is feelings of worthlessness or guilt. Now, feelings of worthlessness or guilt. How do we know that St. Catherine was experiencing that? Because when you read her book, she describes herself as, I am the least puppy barking, meaning that among her nuns, among her sisters, trying to get closer to God, trying to get holier, she considered herself the least puppy barking. She considered herself with a very low self-esteem. Now, one can say, well, that's humility too. <clears throat> you know, why, why can't we say that she's just being humble and that she just didn't want to elevate herself? But in St. Catherine's case, as we look at her in her life, one of the things about depression is that it really makes us feel like, we are not worth anything. There's no sense of value in, in us, um, even amongst other people. Humility is being able actually to find the value that we have. You know, humility is not saying, oh, I'm not worth it. I'm not worth anything. Because then we're negating the fact that God gave us value and that our value came from God and who God is, really. Depression, though, will steal that from us. <clears throat> and that way, it's a form of hell. It's almost a form of saying, you know, you're not worth anything, which is not true. Because our value is in the eyes of God. And it says, while it is possible to think of this as a metaphor that the author is deliberately demeaning herself, intentionally becoming one of the least of these, these my brethren, to make a spiritual point, the reality seems to be that she really felt herself to be a puppy, someone not worthy even of the title human, never equal to the refined servants and sisters. And you see what I mean? One of the challenges there with depression, as St. Catherine was experiencing, is that we don't even feel like we're worth being human. But then that's negating the fact that, no, God gave us this humanity. We are worth it, and we better find that value um, in humility, but we better recognize that there is value. Later on, she also says of herself, my darkened eyes should not have the boldness to praise you, my abominable mouth overflowing with horrible filth. See how she brings herself down a lot? We're going to talk more about this when we come back in the next segment. But she's really bringing herself down. She's not allowing herself to see her value. And that's what happens when we're depressed. 
more about this when we come back to Honor after the break. Welcome back to the Brisbane Most Powerful Radio. Dr. Louise Scandoval Show. I'm Dr. Louise Scandoval, your host. Um, and today we're talking about St. Catherine of Bologna. Very, very special saint. Patron saint of artists, patron saint against temptation, uh, and patron saint of the city of Bologna. If you're ever interested or going to Italy to Bologna, her body's actually incorrupt. Um, they found that she wasn't corrupt, and she is there in the cathedral of Bologna. You can actually see the body of this great saint. Um, we're talking about her today in the clinic here because she is a great example of how if you are struggling with mental illness or any depression or anything along those lines, it does not mean that you can't reach sainthood or that you can't get closer to God. Um, in this next segment here, I want to talk a little bit more about what she said, her experience of depression and how she experienced it, because I think it really is going to resonate with our listeners and with some of the questions that I've been getting from our listeners or from their family members um, in terms of depression and how do we help each other out and really trying to understand it. Because I think when somebody is depressed, they see the world very differently than the way somebody around them sees it. The family members, the loved ones, they see the world differently. You know, we, we see the world as a happy place. We see the world as a place with hope. If somebody's experiencing depression, they're not going to see that. And in fact, even the good things seem bad. Let's look a little bit more about what Catherine was thinking about herself during her periods of depression. Um, she would say things as, I am such an unclean and vile worm. I have no right to expect anything but the greatest ruin and confusion before God and human beings. We see that darkness there that, she, that we're talking about. We see that darkness she experienced because one of the things is she feels that she has no self-worth. And I think we need to make that very big distinction. A lot of times we think, you know, if we're thinking about, well, I'm going to go join a convent or I'm going to be in a monastery or even in my own married life, I want to live a life of humil humility. And a lot of times we equate humility with, well, I'm not worth anything. And if I'm crying and if I'm feeling bad about myself, it's because I need to be humble. I'm trying to be humble. But that's really not humility. When we get to this point where we, where we feel we have no right to expect anything but greatest ruin, we have to take a step back and remember, that's not what God expects from us. We could be suffering from depression. It could be past humility. It might not just be, you know, uh, something that simple. It might not be that we're trying to get holier. It might be that we might be impeded from getting holier because we are feeling depressed. Um, this is important to note here. So other symptoms included in the DSM-4, which is what we use to diagnose depression, um, are depressed mood, tearfulness, marked diminished interest, or pleasure in activities. So if you notice, um, for St. Catherine, it says, it seemed impossible that her eyes would not have dissolved in her head and her heart could not restrain itself from weeping because of the unspeakable sadness which had wounded it, especially since it was deprived of the flame of divine love by which she often accustomed to be visited with such abundance that with great effort, she could barely hide it. So St. Catherine was a mystic. She did have visions of Christ and Our Lady, um, and that would bring her great joy. But in this case, we notice something. You know, how do we distinguish also between being holy, you know, longing for God and having a sadness that God is not there? Well, one of the most important things here that I would say as a psychiatrist is it seemed impossible that her eyes would not dissolve in her head because, and her heart could not restrain itself from weeping. So 
all of a sudden we have a situation where we are just crying uncontrollably and we can say, well, I'm sad because I want to be closer to God or I'm sad because of the sins I committed. But at some point, God gives us reprieve. At some point in the midst of our metanoia, of our compunction, of our of our ability to um, you know, have remorse for our sins and try to get closer to God. Yes, there might be a sadness there, especially during this Lenten season. We might feel sad because we realize we've hurt God, we've sinned, we want to make our life better, we want to go to confession. But at some point, there has to be some relief. We eventually have to have tears of joy knowing that we're closer to God. If we find that we are just crying with nonstop and we're not able to control those tears, then we really have to ask ourselves, is this humility? Is this because I'm you know, repenting for my sins? Or is this now where I'm in a depressed state where I might need some help? If, there, if we're crying at the drop of a hat, super sensible, um, then yeah, we might want to consider, do we need medication for this? Another symptom is, and this is an important one because a lot of our listeners, you know, this is what you tell me, um, this is what you're experiencing, the diminished ability to think or concentrate. Very easy to wonder, you know, is this depression? I can't think, I can't think straight. Gosh, I think I'm, I'm losing my focus. I need some ADHD medication because I have ADHD, I'm not focusing, I have attention deficit. But what we've got to remember is that depression or anxiety can cause a diminished concentration. We can lose our focus, we're not thinking clearly, you can read a paragraph over and over and it's just not making sense for whatever reason, it's not sticking to the brain. So we gotta remember that it can be a sign of depression if we notice that we're extra sensitive, we're depressed, we're crying. St. Catherine went through this. As her pain became continually worse, it was as if she were deprived of understanding while the battles raged within and around her. So this is where it gets a little bit uh, tricky. I wouldn't say confusing, but a little bit gray in terms of is this mental illness or am I being attacked? Because as we said, you're not able to think clearly that can be mental and that can definitely be a sign of depression, a sign of anxiety. You know, I, I'm not understanding what's going on. I can't memorize anything. I can't think clearly. But at the same time, for her, it said the battles raged within and around her. What a great time if we do have a spiritual enemy here who's trying to attack us. What a better time to attack us than if they know that we're depressed and we're already not thinking clearly. Well, let's get in there and make matters worse. So how do we distinguish that? It can be a little bit tricky, and we're going to talk more about that as the show goes on. Um, but here's another important one, because these go hand in hand. So we just talked about one of the symptoms that St. Catherine was experiencing was she was deprived of understanding. She couldn't think clearly, and we said that's diminished ability to think or concentrate. The next symptom of depression, which kind of goes hand in hand with this, because a lot of people don't understand this, and this is really where family members uh, get a little bit confused, is psychomotor, what we call either psychomotor agitation or retardation and fatigue or loss of energy. So the body is just kind of all over the place or really not doing anything. The agitation part, sometimes we see it as, oh, I need to go here. No, I need to go there. or I need to go to the store. No, you know what? I need to go back home. No, can't, you know, can't get that focus in, can't stop and think, well, let me do this in a methodical way. I got to run errands, right? Don't we all run errands? And why don't I go to this store first and this store second? Sometimes the brain isn't going to allow us to do that. It's a jumbled mess. But then more importantly, people say, you know, gosh, my loved one's just being lazy. They're not moving. They're just, they're just sitting there. And that's what we call psychomotor retardation and fatigue or loss of energy. If you ever talk to somebody who's depressed, I'll explain to you how, how, what they would say. Let's see what Catherine says. She could scarcely hold herself upright. The malign one received from God 
the freedom to redouble his rage against her, put me in a place where I have no occasion to see or speak to anyone. So this, this is what she's expressing. This is what she's expressing for herself um, in terms of put me somewhere where I don't see anybody or speak to anybody. Notice that she's going into a very dark place um, and she's barely able to hold herself upright. How, what does this have to do with psychomotor agitation or fatigue or psychomotor retardation? What it really means is the body's in a place where it just won't move. So I mentioned that people could be agitated. They might not know exactly what to do and they're trying to go all over the place. But a lot of the time, and I would say more commonly, the person will describe being able to sit there on a couch for hours and it's as if time stood still. You know, they could sit in front of the TV for four hours and really in their mind, they want to accomplish a million different things. I want to get up, wash the dishes, wash the car, go to work, read a book. I want, I have this list of things I really, really want to do. The body won't follow. And on top of that, if I want to study or read a book or something, I'm going to sit there and try to read it and nothing's going to stick in my brain. It's just not going to be there because I can't concentrate. Family members see this sometimes and they say, why are they being so lazy? They're not getting up. I mean, they're just sitting there all day. They're stuck in their room. It's because the brain and the body are already at a disconnect. The body's not going to follow. There's this stagnation. There's almost a paralysis, if you will. And I think St. Catherine makes a really good point of saying, put me in a place where I have no occasion to see or speak to anyone. Because that's where the brain's at. That's where the depression's at. Why don't they get out of the room? Why don't they come out? Why are they just staying there in the darkness? Because that's how they feel. You know, it's hard for when somebody is experiencing depression to be able to move forward or to actually accomplish a task. And this is why it's easy to confuse it with something like ADHD, um, because you're saying, gosh, if I could just concentrate, if I could just focus, but it's like I tell my patients, um, it's not that simple because I could give somebody ADHD medication. It might make you more alert but it's not going to get rid of the depression. It's not going to stimulate you to actually move forward or, or have a certain motivation. So there's a lot of suffering that comes with us, but St. Catherine also says something else. And this is very important because we've talked about a few of the symptoms that come along with depression. We've talked about how it feels. And even for a saint, it felt this way. St. Catherine of Bologna, who was in a convent, she was a poor Claire. She eventually became the abbess of, of her, uh, one of the convents that she was at. You know, she was obviously very, very capable. She was smart. She was well-respected by her peers. They could see her holiness, but yet interiorly, she's telling us she suffered from this depression. Interiorly, she was still going through this. It's what I want to tell my readers and reassure them is, you can be feeling a depression. You might be suffering from mental illness. It does not preclude you from the greatness that God wants from you. What is it that we have to do? Well, this is what St. Catherine tells us. She says, whoever wants to go to God through sweetness and consolation is deceived. This is important because what she's saying is not necessarily that her depression was good, but that if we think that we're going to go through God through an easy road where there is no conflict, where everything comes very easily, easily to us, where we're given, you know, where we're recognized right away by our peers for our talents and that we're not going to have any issues with that, I think we're going to be deceiving ourselves because the road to God is a road of sacrifice. What she's really telling us is when you're experiencing this, if you're experiencing the sacrifice, it's, it's not in vain. We know one of the greatness about, one of the great things about our Catholic faith is that we know that there is merit and sacrifice. We know that when we sacrifice we're actually doing a good, whether it be for ourselves, growing in our Catholic character, 
growing in a way that we're getting closer to God because Jesus taught us that through suffering, that's how we get closer to God. He, why did he die on the cross for us? To merit heaven for us, the ultimate suffering so that we could be as close to God as possible. Not only are we doing good for ourselves, but as the body of Christ, when we suffer, if we are experiencing depression or if we are experiencing anxiety or some kind of mental illness, if we offer our sacrifice to God, we are offering it for the body of Christ. So not only are we doing good for ourselves, we could be doing good for our brothers and sisters in Christ who might need our prayers, who might need to feel um, good about themselves. Now, one of the things about depression uh, that she touches on as well is that even if people tell you good things and that people are being friendly, sometimes a person who's depressed is going to misinterpret that and they might not even recognize that and they might actually interpret it the other way. This is what her patchet says. One hallmark of chronic depression is the feeling that all of this is happening against one's own better judgment and will. When well-meaning friends and spiritual advisors suggest that one pray more fervently or not take anything so seriously, they are missing the point that the depressed person is being acted upon, has lost all will, can do no more than lie still and hurt and sleep. So that's exactly what the depressed person's feeling. They're feeling like there's nothing I can do. You don't know exactly how what my experience is. I'm in this place of darkness and you're trying to tell me that I should just pray a little bit more, that I should just feel a little bit better. These are all great suggestions from friends and families who have our best interests at heart, but when somebody's depressed, they might actually see that as an attack. When we come back from the break, I'm gonna be addressing some questions from our listeners. All right, listeners, welcome back to the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to Dr. Louis Sandoval's show here, and welcome to the clinic. Today we're talking about St. Catherine of Bologna, a saint who not only suffered depression, but had to battle demons. One of the things that's important about uh, St. Catherine is that she does a great job of describing in her book, uh, The Seven Spiritual Weapons, uh, what it's like to feel this depression in the midst of a spiritual life, in the midst of trying to get closer to God, and how do we battle the demons that attack us while we might be having mental illness issues. Uh, one of the things that she says is depressed people live an intensely interior life. And the book says she was driven into severe doubt and she raised her interior voice. One day, a greeting from a person has no particular emotional effect, that is, provokes no untoward reaction. Another day, the identical greeting from the same person can completely throw one out of kilter for years, can throw one into a great wave of doubt and sadness that incapacitate, frustrate, and anger one beyond all sensibility, and the insensibility of it all only provokes one further because it is not on a sensible level that these reactions occur. They come as if from the devil and not one's own doing. She raised her interior voice calling out to heaven and asking for divine help. Very important here because like I was saying, when somebody is feeling depressed, the simplest voice, the simplest uh, way somebody says hello to them, one day might not mean much, and the next day 
might turn the mind into this world of torrent that will last for days, months, years, because they'll say, but when they said that, they did this to me. I started to feel this way. I felt tortured because they said hi to me a certain way or because they told me that maybe I needed to fix my shirt collar a little bit. Normally, if somebody comes up to me and says, Dr. Samuel, you know, your collar is a little bit off. Let me fix it for you. Okay, great. No big deal. Wow, it's fixed. Okay, life goes on. I have to keep going. I didn't even think about it because one, I didn't know it wasn't fixed. And two, now it's fixed and life goes on. But when somebody's depressed, if somebody comes up to me, if I'm feeling depressed and somebody says, you know, your collar's off. Oh my God, my collar was off. I'm going to get fired. Nobody's going to be my friend. Nobody's going to want to be with me. This is the kind of torture that one might experience in the brain. Or if somebody comes by and says, you know what? I don't know that those shoes really go with that outfit. The whole rest of the day, the whole week, the whole month, somebody could be focused on those shoes and that's it. And they, and they've, and there's nothing else you, you might have a car accident about to happen. You might have something major that's about to happen. And this little thing about somebody said they might not like your shoes, which they're not even wearing them. Who cares if you like them? But that little comment might be torturing you for some time. And it might be the biggest thing in the world. Whereas, you know, if you don't have money, you don't have food, that might be off to the side. You know, taking you forget to pick up your kid from school or something. That might happen if somebody is depressed. Why? Because the brain twists this and then how do we know this is not as if from the diabolical? Somebody gives you one little comment and you start to feel really, really frustrated and you start to really feel enraged because of this. Instead of saying, well, people might not like my shoes. I'll go change them. Or, you know, my collar is fixed now. That's okay. And life goes on. No one's going to know. But it really makes it feel like the whole world's about to end over such a small thing. And this is very common. This happens all the time when people are feeling depressed. So I wanted to go through and review some questions that I've had, um, some from, you know, family, friends, different listeners and whatnot. But these are, I think these are important questions because they really speak to everybody, you know, um, in terms of helping to understand this. So one of them was, um, Dr. Sandoval, my husband, uh, lost his job during this quarantine. He is a really good husband. He has been looking for more work, but nothing has really seemed to come his way. Currently, uh, I am working and I am keeping the household together. We're doing okay, scraping by, but my husband seems to have lost hope and he seems depressed. What can I do for him? How can I help him? So this is a very common situation, especially right now in the and the situations we find ourselves with in society as far as work and as far as closures and quarantine, um, you know, people are going to be losing their jobs. They're not going to feel good about themselves. But in this particular case, it's a great question. It's like my husband lost work. He's looking for more work, but now he seems to have lost hope. He seems to not feel good about himself. The good thing about this uh, situation is that it seems like they're doing okay. She says we're getting by financially, um, but I'm holding, you know, I'm bringing in the, the, the money. One of the things that I would say is, where is he at um, in terms of how does he feel about himself at this point? What did it mean for him to have a job? Was it just about having the job and feeling that self-worth of, oh, I have a job, so I have something to do? Or for a husband in particular, as we think about the, the year of St. Joseph and what does it mean to be a, a husband, a head of the household? Um, what does it mean to have a job and bring, and bring home the bacon, as they say? Um, you know, one thing that I would ask is, or that I would recommend is why not sit down with him and ask him, how do you feel right now? What is it that your biggest concern is? If we're getting by financially, are you more concerned that the kids aren't going to see you as the provider? Or is it, are you more concerned that the kids aren't going to see you as a dad? Are you concerned that 
as your wife, I see you as less of a person because you don't have a job. These things can happen. You know, I think the most important thing is to sit down and have that conversation um, and really ask them, where are you at with this? Reminding them that they're important, reminding them that, you know, at home, he's still the husband, he's still the head of the household, um, and that we still have the spiritual job to do. It can be very easy to fall into a depression in this case um, because all of a sudden our sense of self-worth is gone. The most important thing that I would address though, and I would say don't be afraid to address this, is uh, ask them how they're feeling in terms of do they think they want to end it all? Do they still recognize that they're an important part of the family? Do they still recognize their role of the family? I think it would be no different than um, if a, a mom is feeling depressed and the husband wants to sit with her and say, hey, you know, how are you feeling? Because we still need the mom in the household. We still need that creative energy in the household. We still need that loving presence of the household. The kids need you. Um, what is it that's keeping you down? Do you not recognize how important you are to us? In this world, it's easy to find our value by what we do, right? When we say hi to each other, it's like, hi, how you doing? What do you do? And that's how we address uh, each other in society because all of a sudden, based on if I know what you do, that might be how we treat each other. And that's kind of sad because regardless of what we do outside of the household, we got to remember that in our domestic church, in our own household, within our Catholic house, um, it doesn't really matter what we do outside of the house so long as we're working towards God. Everything that we do outside of the house should be aimed and geared at bringing joy and bringing more holiness and bringing everybody to heaven who is in that household. So different places that we're at, but this is very common. It, it, it can be very challenging to, to feel down in that way. Another question was, um, Dr. Sandoval, my daughter is currently in high school. I think she's starting to engage with the wrong crowd. I've smelled, I think what she thinks is, uh, might be marijuana on her clothing. Um, I don't know for your fact that she smokes or not. I have never seen it. I'm afraid to bring this up, but she's acting differently. She's not talking to us anymore. And quite frankly, I think she's depressed. Um, what can I do to help her? So this is important because now we're talking about the kids and we're saying, you know, I have a daughter who uh, is acting differently and she seems depressed. I would want to know a little bit more information about, you know, what does it mean that she's depressed? And two, if you're smelling drugs or marijuana on her, well, that can have an effect on the mood as well. One of the things that people think about marijuana is, oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. You know, it's legal in California now, supposedly. Uh, that means that it's safe uh, and it means that it's okay. But if you look at the studies, one thing that I would say is marijuana can actually, yeah, put people into depression. What I really would ask is, well, why would she have started marijuana in the first place if she's smoking it? Um, is it because she just wanted to be cool and, the, and be part of the crowd? Or was she already feeling maybe depressed? Well, you know, how long ago you say you think she might be depressed? When did you first notice any symptoms of depression? How long ago did she start getting depressed? And do you think that maybe she was depressed and that's why she smoked the marijuana? It's hard to say. Um, we have to ask, you know, it's always the chicken or the egg. What came first, the mental illness or the drug use? Really hard to say. But this is a good time to not necessarily attack or say, hey, I smelled this on you, but to start having conversations with your daughter if you haven't before about, you know, where are you at in life? How are you doing in school? How are your friends? You know, what are they doing? Uh, what are you guys interested in? It might seem like, oh, mom, you're being noisy or nosy or old oh, dad, you're being nosy. But that's our job as parents is not to be nosy. It's our job is to guide our children. We don't have that choice. Uh, otherwise, that's that's the responsibility, God, that we promised to God when we got married, that we were going to have children, raise them in the faith. And they never stop being our children. We never stop raising them. If she is feeling depressed, one of the things that I would ask is, 
does she feel like she want to hurt herself? What does she know about suicide? What does she know about, does she know anybody in, in her high school who's committed suicide or, or do they talk about it? These are big deals because these are the ages where you know kids are going to get interested in this and if they start hearing about somebody being depressed you know as teenagers were very easily influenced if somebody else is depressed and they're getting attention well gosh we start thinking about ourselves am, am i depressed am i not depressed if somebody they hear that a friend or somebody's doing drugs why do we get involved with drugs well they're doing it it could be peer pressure um or it could be that you know they're doing it and they're okay and they're my friend well maybe it's okay you know there's lots of different things that we get into because our friends are into it or because it's trendy at the time um, and it's important to have that open conversation because we don't want to miss the opportunity that if she is feeling depressed, um, that she might need some help. I would ask myself, is she experiencing anything like St. Catherine was saying? Is she talking, you know, is her conversation full of more dark overtones or undertones? Um, does she isolate more? You know, these are things that naturally happen as we're teenagers because we're trying to figure out life, but it's always important to ask because we want to make sure that we get the help for her um, if she needs it. And more importantly, that she knows that she can talk to mom and dad because a lot of times as teenagers, we just feel like mom and dad really don't get it. They don't know anything about about drug use. They don't know anything about sex. They don't know anything about intimacy because they've never been there. You know, they're just old or they're, they don't know what I just learned. Um, and that's what they think, right? But when we can have an open conversation and mature conversations where we're not attacking each other, that's important. Because like I said, with the depression, remember what I just read, sometimes we start to feel like um, we're being attacked. And even the kind word might make somebody feel attacked. So if they respond that way, try to understand that, you know, it's okay. That might be where they're at. But we need to address the issue with kindness, with loving uh, kindness, and with uh, letting them know that we're there for them. You know, let's do one more question here um, as we're getting closer to the break. Let me find a good one. Uh, oh, here's, here was one that I thought about because it kind of blended the both. So I said, Dr. Sandoval, I'm currently married. Um, I love my wife, but sometimes I feel like I should leave. Um, I think that she might be better off without me. I have thought about ending my life. Um, not because I want to die and I don't think I would ever do it. I think I think more about not existing. I think the world would be a better place without me. What should I do? So this is an important question, and we're going to address this when we come back from the show because I want to give it its, its just desserts. It's very easy to feel that way during, when somebody's depressed, where they start talking about not wanting to exist. Doesn't mean that they want to commit suicide necessarily, but very common to feel like the world might be a better place without me, and I am a burden on other people. We're going to talk more about this when we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to the clinic here at Virgin of Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Lee Sandoval Show. I am your host, Dr. Lee Sandoval. As always, I always encourage our listeners that if you enjoy the content of our shows, if you like what you're listening to, feel free to give us a donation, give us a shout out. Um, and if you have any questions for me in particular, um, I always appreciate these questions that come through because I think it's very helpful to people and I enjoy uh, replying because sometimes people don't know where to go with these questions. If you ever want to email me, you can email me at doctor, that's dr.sandovalvmpr at gmail.com. I'm always welcome those questions that come in. For this last segment of the show, um, I wanted to address that last question that we read uh, in terms of that feeling of not wanting to exist, even though they don't necessarily want to end their life. 
very common and a lot of family members get scared or a lot of friends get scared and say, whoa, my loved one said that they don't want to exist anymore. I think they're going to kill themselves. Not necessarily the case. One thing that I would recommend is if somebody experiences that or says that, the first thing I would ask is, well, do you have a plan in place? Do you really want to end your life? Is that, is that what you want? Do you, do you have a plan in place and how you're going to do it? The, for the most part, they'll say, no, you know, I've had some thoughts and we, that's what we call passive ideation. I've had some thoughts about how to do it. You know, I thought maybe this, maybe that, but I, I haven't, I don't have anything on hand. I don't have a plan. I don't have a date and I'm not going to do this that I know of. Okay. Very common to have that sense of, okay, but you know what? I feel like I really don't want to exist. Like if God were to take me today, if God were to, you know, if I were to die today, not that big a deal, which tells me that they're no longer engaged in terms of a hope or something to live for. And so this is where I would say, okay, I get how you're feeling. You're not feeling like you want to live. This is where I would really say, let's talk about medication. Let's talk about what might be able to help you out. Let's see if there's something out there. Let's get you therapy. Let's get that ball rolling on that and the things. Because if you're starting to feel like you don't want to exist, that could be a slippery slope in terms of going a little bit darker and feeling like you want to end it all. What I really liked about St. Catherine's book, St. Catherine of Bologna, is that she was dealing with demons as well, the demons that made her feel worthless, the demons that probably made her feel like she didn't exist or didn't deserve to exist um, as a human being. Um, And she came up with seven spiritual weapons because what she said is, one can think of the spiritual weapons as weapons not only for the battles of faith, but as weapons for the battles of depression to intend solicitude and not to be misled by the vagaries of mood to keep steady hold on one's life by not giving into the swings of feelings to rest in the love of God, however inexperienced to hold to the humanity and suffering of Christ as something close and not far away. And to remember that death will come in its own sweet time without any need to hurry it along. I think these are very important because this is where she's saying with these weapons, even if we are feeling like I don't need to exist, I can start to really recognize that Christ's suffering, unite myself to Christ, Christ's suffering and recognize that death is going to come. You know, I don't have to rush it. I don't have to run to it. And, and I might be having thoughts of it. And if I am having that thought, what a greater time for, for demons to come and interfere, right? Cause what, what, what better would they want that? then we end our lives and not follow through with the mission that God has for us on this planet. Uh, One thing that she says is uh, that there are angry voices. They are wicked, sinful, toad-talking, worthless, nothing less than horrible as a constant background to every single thought. Equally telling is that she had a confessor and she did not keep her darkness secret but face the shame of being imperfect and not in control. So she was experiencing this with these dark thoughts and people might experience this. They might say, yeah, but you know, not only am I having these bad thoughts, I have these interior voices um, that are wicked, sinful, toad talking, worthless, nothing less than horrible. Um, You know, these voices that are telling me to do really bad things or these voices that are egging me on and telling me to go ahead and kill myself. Does that mean I'm psychotic? Not necessarily. Does that mean it's the devil? Not necessarily, but how do we know? This is where it gets really challenging. And this is where people say, well, Dr. Sandoval, okay, so you've talked to this person. Do you think that they're possessed? Do you think that they're diabolically influenced? I don't know. 
I don't know sometimes. Sometimes it could be depression. Sometimes it could be, you know, a negative uh, influence in, in terms of a darkness causing an oppression or causing a uh, uh, obsessions, you know, where we can't get rid of these thoughts. Why is it that if I tell somebody maybe they should change their shoes, they're going to have this obsessive thought throughout the rest of the day. Where does this obsession come from? We don't necessarily know. <clears throat> How do we find out? One of the ways we find out is obviously getting to know the person a little bit more, seeing where they're at in their life, seeing what might help them. If I talk to them, let's try medication out. Why not? Did the medication clear it all up? Are you feeling much better? Guess what? Maybe you were just feeling depressed. Then maybe the medication cleared up. You try it for a year or two, and then maybe you won't need it anymore. Maybe the brain will help reset itself uh, in terms of its serotonin usage, norepinephrine, you know, dopamine, whatever it is that we're addressing. So that can happen. And then we know, you know what, maybe you were just experiencing depression. Was there a lift? Was there a relief? Great. What if not? What if I give you, you know, medication and you say, gosh, I'm feeling better. I'm not feeling depressed, but I'm still really feeling like, you know, in my spiritual side of things, like God doesn't love me, like I should sin, like I'm not worth it. I'm not depressed. I can function. I can go through life. I'm not feeling like I want to cry every second, but I really don't feel that God loves me. And that's a different story. So now we're talking about, well, where are we at in terms of our spiritual life? Let's look at these weapons that St. Catherine tells us that can help us not only to defeat the demons, but also to defeat our depression. So the first weapon, she says, the first weapon I call zeal, that is solicitude and doing good, since the Holy Spirit condemns those who are negligent and lukewarm in the way of God. This is where she's telling us, you got to pick a side right off the bat. <clears throat> What's the first thing we got to do? She calls it zeal. Zeal is the first weapon, spelled Z-E-A-L. So that's the first weapon. What does that mean, though? I think she tells us right there. It's in uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 15 through 16. Um, you know, Holy Scripture condemns those who are negligent and lukewarm in the way of God. Remember, Jesus said that it's the lukewarm that he's going to vomit out of his mouth. What does it mean to be lukewarm? It means to really be, eh, I can take it or leave it. You know, I can, I can go either way with, do I follow God? Do I not follow God? Look, I'm alive. The sun's out today. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to pick sides. She's saying, no, guess what? You got to pick a side. Either you're with God or you're not with God. And what she calls it is zeal. So the first weekend is to make, the first weapon is to make a decision and say, I'm with God. Okay. There's going to be seven weapons. The first one is I got to make that decision. Firm purpose of amendment. I'm with God and I'm going to follow God regardless. Okay. So that's the first one. Second weapon is important because this is where it gets really important when it comes to mental health. It is the second weapon is mistrust of self. That is to believe firmly and without doubt that one could never do anything good by oneself. As Jesus Christ said, without me, you can do nothing. And that is in the book of John, uh, chapter 15, verse five. And it says, nor could one resist successfully the fury of the infernal enemies for their cunning wickedness. So now I can't trust myself. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that I have no faith in myself? No, it means that I need to remember that anything I do has to be in the reflection of Christ and it has to be led by Christ. So the first thing is I already made a decision. I'm going to follow God. First weapon is zeal. Second weapon is mistrust of self. I can't trust what I'm feeling. We do this in, in mental health all the time. When you come to, when somebody comes to see me and they say, you know, gosh, I'm feeling anxious. I really don't like my boss. I really don't like this person. The world's over. Everything's terrible. We challenge those feelings, right? We say, well, hang on a second. I know you're feeling that way. That's a very real feeling. But now there's feelings and there's facts and there's feelings and there's a the truth. We need to challenge the feelings. This is where the mistrust is. I'm feeling this way. I'm thinking this way. Let me take a step back and challenge that. That's really what it means. Let me, and not only challenge that, challenge it in the light of Christ. 
let Christ lead me. Is this what Christ is leading me to? Is this truly how I'm feeling? Is this the way I'm supposed to feel in the light of Christ? Or do the demons really want me to feel this so that I go away from God, right? So first, I make the decision for God's heal. Second one is I don't trust myself. The third one is, the third weapon is put one's trust in God and for love of him, fiercely wage battle and with great readiness of spirit against the devil and against the world and one's own flesh, which is given to one in order that it might serve the spirit. Very important here. So first, I choose God. Second, I'm not going to trust my feelings all the time. But third, I'm going to put my trust in God. And since I'm putting my trust in God, I'm going to make every battle I make, which really means everything I do in life, every thought I have, every action I do um, towards God, towards the betterment of the kingdom, and towards being closer to God. I have to be ready against the devil, which means that I might reject pleasures. This is a great time in Lent to realize that, you know, the demon's going to come and always comes and presents the bad as something good first. The same way that if we look at Eve, she said that the fruit looked good. It looked like it was something that could be in and he twisted it around from the way God was saying it. So what do we have to do? We have to put my trust in God. And even if something looks good and say, you know what? I don't have to fast today. It's Friday. I know that we're not supposed to, but you know what? I'll fast tomorrow. It's not that big a deal. No, guess what? That sacrifice means something. I better start to fight that feeling because that's not, good in, in the light of Christ. Now, granted, if I'm going to starve to death and there's nothing else but meat to eat, then guess what? You got to preserve life. But, you know, the sacrifices we usually make on Fridays are not that big a deal and we can make it through Saturday. In the moment, it's that's the battle. It feels like, oh man, boy, I really want that burger, right? Why is that? And then come Saturday, man, not that big a deal. That's the battle. That was the battle for Friday. It was the battle to fight that desire for something that I know I could have later, but really, can I choose God over this one thing right now? That's really where the battle comes in. So we've gone through three of the weapons. The fourth weapon is, fourth is the memory of the glorious pilgrimage of the Immaculate Lamb, Christ Jesus, and especially his holy death and passion, keeping always before our minds the presence of his most chaste and virginal humanity, really the life of Christ, remembering what it was that Christ uh, suffered for us. What did he do in life? He served the will of the Father to the point of crucifixion. He performed miracles in the name of the Father. He asked God for guidance. He always was always in prayer. We got to remember why Jesus came to earth. Keeping that in mind will help remind us of what our purpose here is on earth. Why am I here? Am I here to not exist anymore because I'm not worth it? No, even if I'm feeling depressed, guess what? God still needs me here. I still have a mission to perform, just like Christ did in his pilgrimage. The fifth weapon is to remind ourselves that one must die. Keeping death at the forefront is actually healthy. Now, you're just saying, but Dr. Sandball, you said that when somebody's thinking about suicide or somebody's thinking about, you know, gosh, I, I don't want to exist anymore, that, that can be kind of dangerous. Yes, but in the spiritual sense, reminding myself that I must die is not, I'm going to try to end my life. It's, I only have so much time here on earth. So my time here on earth will come to an end. The time I do have, I better use productively for God, because this race is going to end, and I'm gonna. What am I going to have to show for it? What am I going to come to Christ with and say? You know, you put me put me on this earth for a mission. My time's going to be short. I better start working now. If I haven't been on the right path, all hope is not lost. I better start working right now, so that the time I do have, the time that's going to come to an end, I make good use of. The sixth weapon: memory of the goods of paradise. Right. So as I'm doing this, how I got to remember there is a goal. There is a paradise that I'm going to, and that's the, why I'm making good use of my time. And the seventh weapon is memory of the Holy Scripture. This is how Christ himself defeated the devil. He used Scripture. He used the lines of Scripture to fight the devil and to say, you know what? You're trying to tempt me in the desert. You're trying to twist my thoughts. 
You're trying to put me into a depression. You're trying to make bread seem better. You're trying to make it seem like I'm not a child of God if I don't jump off a building. Well, guess what? I'm going to use scripture against you because scripture is what's going to bring the truth and it's what's going to untangle those thoughts that might be leading me to a depression. If I have scripture in mind, I can do anything. I can fight this depression and I can fight the demons that might be causing it. If you feel like you're feeling like you're depressed, you feel like you need help, don't be afraid to reach out. Talk to a friend, talk to somebody you know, talk to a counselor or psychiatrist. And if you're a family member, don't be afraid to reach out to your family members either and see how you can help them out. Until next time, we'll see you here at the clinic at the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show.